Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to a brand new series from Canon Press titled The Christian Heritage Series. The men in the Christian Heritage Series paid a high price for the words you see before you. Not all paid with blood, but each spent his life's work on these books. The faithful sacrifice has become a rich inheritance for the church in our day. The Christian Heritage Series aims to put these important theological classics on every Christian's bookshelf in colorful, well-crafted, and affordable volumes. The first release of this series will be Martin Luther's The Bondage of the Will, with a helpful introduction by Douglas Wilson. A notable quote from the introduction about Luther's book, One more caution should be made before we begin. This may be the only classic theological work you ever read which makes you laugh out loud multiple times. Get Luther's book with the introduction from Douglas Wilson with the link in your show notes or head to canonpress.com. Now to the podcast. Welcome to Plodcast 127. This is Plodcast. Not only is it the Plodcast, but it's the 127th version of the Plodcast. Thanks for having me along. Good to, uh, good to be with you again. So the, the topic I wanted to talk about today uh, as, as our lead-off uh, subject is uh, evangelical fascism, falsely so-called. Evangelical fascism, falsely so-called. A number of years ago, uh, Oh, this man, probably a couple of decades or more ago, we we had a, a congresswoman um, here in Idaho, a fine Christian woman, Helen Chenoweth, uh, now with the Lord. She um, she was a wonderful um, uh, wonderful congresswoman. And one time she was going she was coming through Moscow and she was going to be um, giving a press conference at the up at the university. So I thought I'd go up and listen to her her press conference and. And when I got up there, she was running a little late, and the room where she was, the the lobby area where she was going to be, was filled with protesters, uh, with signs and everything. And um, the protesters and the other people who were there were standing around um, waiting for her. And there was a young kid across the way who had a sign that said something like, "Down, down with fascism. Now, Helen Chenoweth was a limited government conservative. She was uh, on the spectrum of political systems. She was the farthest thing from fascist that you could imagine. She was a limited. Uh, fascists are not limited government conservatives. So I had time. I had a few minutes to kill, and the congresswoman was not uh, there yet. So I, I went over and stood by the young man with the sign, and I leaned over and said, "What? Um, what is fascism?" <laughs> asked him for a definition. His sign, his whatever it was, he wanted it to go down uh, because he was saying down with fascism. And I said, what is fascism? And he eventually he came up with something like uh, when the government does bad things, or which obviously would translate into when the, when the government does things that I don't like. Well, that's not, I'm sorry, that's not fascism. Now, why do I bring this up? Um, in the uh, uh, in the first 
administration of Donald Trump, there were a, a whole host of leftists who could not accept the fact that Donald Trump was their president. They could not accept the fact that he was in the White House. And so they, they've been, they were yelling about impeachment from day one, uh, from the very get-go. They wanted to impeach him. They wanted to remove him. They wanted to get him out of there. Now, if and the, uh, what I'm doing is running a little thought experiment. If Donald Trump wins a second term, which I think is, is as I'm looking at the, the field on the Democratic side taking shape, uh, it's looking like more and more of a real possibility that Donald Trump could be elected for a second term. If, um, if the Democrats nominate someone who's hard left, or if they nominate someone who, for, for in their world, is a moderate, someone like Joe Biden, and that uh, gives a good a deal of energy to third-party candidate, Green Party, or something like that, um, then uh, what's going to happen is there's a real prospect that Donald Trump will be elected again. Now, the Russians and the Ukrainians and the hugger-mugger skullduggery, the, all the spycraft stuff didn't work. It, um, Donald Trump, not only did Donald Trump not uh, get thrown out of office, but um, he got re-elected. Now, if he's elected again, the left is, I don't think, in any mood to listen to sweet reason. I don't think the left is going to say, you know, maybe this is happening because of this uh, PC cancel culture that we've cultivated. Maybe, it, maybe all of this is a reaction to our overheated rhetoric. I don't think that they're going to be capable of saying or doing anything like that. I, I think that they are not going to cope with reality. I don't think they're going to cope with reality any better than they did the first time. But they're not going to be able to use the Russians or the Ukrainians. Everybody's going to be tired of that. Uh, they're, they're not going to be able to do an independent council again. They're, they're just not going to be able to do it. So what will they do? They're going to need someone to blame. They're going to need someone to blame. And I am pretty confident that the, the fall guy is going to be the evangelical vote, the evangelicals who voted for Trump. I've seen some, uh, um, I think th this is what I think you can expect. I think that, uh, well, in the last go-round, out of the white evangelical, vote, white evangelical voters, something like 81% uh, voted for Trump. and. I'm suspecting that it's going to be at least that the second time around. So a number of people did not vote for Trump, including me, the first time, because in my mind, he was just a New York liberal and he was going to, you know, uh, talk a conservative game, but then govern to the middle. That's what, that's what Republicans do, right? They run to the right and they govern to the middle. Um, and I think there's going to be a, I think there will be a number of evangelicals who were suspicious of him. Yeah, he says he's going to appoint conservative judges, but he, then he won't. Well, then they're going to look at all the judges he's appointed, and they're going to say, you know, I bet he's going to keep doing that. And if he keeps doing that, so I think it might easily go up from 81% of white evangelicals. That, that figure might rise, that ratio, that percentage might rise. And if it rises, this is what you can expect. I think you can look for a rash of movies, books, documentaries, articles, 
think pieces, magazine articles that are uh, breathing heavily into a paper bag, and they're going to be doing this over the rise of the evangelical hard right. The evangelical hard right. They're going to, and, and it's going to be tagged as evangelical fascism. Now, um, evangelicals, to the extent that they have thought through the system at all, are limited government conservatives, and the fact that they are somewhat nationalistic does not make it, that, that doesn't make it uh, fascist. Uh, um, I think people ought to be way more careful about the, the things that they talk about in this regard. Evangelicals are not fascists, but they're going to have to be ready for what I would regard as a major onslaught. What Russians, what Russian spies and Russian oligarchs and Ukrainian oil deals were to the first term of Donald Trump, I believe that um, evangelicals are going to be in the second term. They are going to be the scapegoat. And I think they need to be ready for that. Continuing with the podcast, we are on episode 127, and we've come to our little hamartiology section. The word asaphos means fool, and it's used that way in Ephesians 5.15. This is a hopox. This is, um, this is a word that's just used once. Uh, in Ephesians 5.15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In the text right before this, the unbeliever is exhorted to wake up from his slumbers so that Christ might shine on him. Paul then turns to address the Ephesians, who have already been awakened, and he exhorts them to walk as though they have been awakened. So right before this, wake up, O sleeper, Christ will shine on you. And then he tells the Ephesian Christians, who've been awakened, to act like it. And that's a typical Pauline move. This is true of you positionally. This is true of you judicially in Christ. Now act like that's true. So he, in, in, in line with this, he tells them to walk circumspectly, which means to walk while looking around you. So circum means around, like circumference, uh, looking. And then uh, speckly means it comes from specto, uh, to look or to watch. So um, someone who's walking circumspectly is walking while looking around, looking, looking at his feet, looking at the path ahead, looking behind. Looking. It's not like sleepwalking. And it's not like drunk walking either. We are not to walk like a blind man feeling his way to the wall. So the prefix in this word, remember the word is asaphos, which means fool. The prefix ah is a term of negation. And because sophos means wise, this is literally not wise or unwise. Uh, you can, if you, if you don't know um, Greek, you can remember that the awe is a term of negation, um, like a theist is someone who believes in God, an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. Uh, gnosis is the word for uh, knowledge, and so an agnostic is someone who claims to have, to, who claims to have no knowledge, and who claims to not know. So asaphos means not wise, literally not wise. So wisdom knows what to do. Wisdom knows where to go. Wisdom uh, knows how to respond, what to say. And to live in this way, according to the Apostle Paul, is 
morally obligatory. Book review. Um, Book review for what? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is podcast episode 127, and this is our book review section. Uh, I want to commend to you a book uh, by uh, Mary Eberstadt, uh, and the book is called Primal Screams. Primal Screams. And uh, she is, um, basically, she's talking about the rise of identity politics. And, uh, and she's identifying for us what the, uh, what the likely culprit is. Why has modern American life gotten so stinking tribal? Why, why, why has it gotten so angry? Why has it gotten so shrill? Why, uh, why are people... Um, clutching at the, you know, little tag, rags and tatters of various identities? And why, why do so many people's identities uh, feel up for grabs? And, and why has our victim culture run amok? Why does everybody want to be a victim? Why does everybody want to identify as a, a victim? Why, uh, no matter what happens, someone falls to the ground clutching their ankle going, ow, 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 ow. And one of the things that Eberstadt does in this book is uh, she, I think, makes it plain that one of the reasons for the rise of this victim culture and for people clinging to faux identities or people clinging to uh, bizarre identities, like um, as though there were as though there were such a thing as the transgender community. Well, no, you you can't have a community without babies. You can't, you can't have a community without a man and a woman and sexual union and children and schools. And, yeah, that's a community, except as a um, passing figure of speech. You w- we wouldn't talk about the um, ham radio community or the, or the quilting club community. That's not a real community. That's, a, that's an association or a group or a club. Um, communities our culture, communities are cultures. And uh, what Everstadt shows, I think, is that all these people who are yelling about being victims, in a very real sense, they're doing this because they really are victims. But they're not victims of the patriarchy. (laughs) They're not victims of the patriarchy. They're victims, in short form, of the breakdown of the patriarchy. So we are living in a generation where um, the number of kids who grew up in single uh, parent households or the number of kids who grew up without a dad or the number of kids who were, um, you know, their father was a sperm donor or that kind of, that kind of thing, um, or they grew up without siblings or they grew up, a lot of these people don't have the baseline, rock-bottom, security-building reality, you know, sort of the built-in identity of humanity that comes with having a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters and a people. And what, what has happened is we have experimented. We're like the sorcerer's apprentice. We've experimented in the sexual revolution We've said we, you know, we can do anything we want. We can, if you want to, if you want to sleep with someone else, knock yourself out. Just do it. Don't think twice. If you don't can't be with the one you love, love love the one you're with. And so uh, people have done that, 
and they've done it. They've enthusiastically pursued that, and the bill has now come due. And so the PC culture, the cancel culture, the meltdown culture, um, I'm offended culture, I'm hurt, I can't believe you said that. All of these people are doing what they're doing because there is a primal wound. And that primal wound is our culture's abandonment of the traditional family. Mm -hmm. 